Manufacturing Company. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I want to share with you today a part of an article. It's very troubling to me. Um, how shall I put this? It's so troubling to me that I don't want to even share today's broadcast. But in obedience to the Lord, I'm going to talk about it. Many of you know who Michael Savage is. Michael Savage is a, a very successful talk radio uh, host. He's on two hours here in the Washington market on WMAL. He has some very interesting things to say. Michael Savage, by the way, is Jewish. Sometimes he says he is an agnostic Jew, and other times he says religion is very important to me. kind of a, a strange man. He is a highly educated man, a scientist. He says, <clears throat> and I quote, West, the West will collapse without Christian revival. This is included in an article by Seeland uh, Duke, the April edition of the New American. He writes, There has never been a successful and long-lasting atheistic civilization, and there never will be. It's also apparently the belief of radio giant Michael Savage as he issues a dire warning on his Wednesday show that is last Wednesday and quote unless Christianity receives a new enthusiasm that sweeps the Western world and Christianity itself rises up against the forces against it he said the entire West will collapse in your lifetime now he continues It's plain to many that the erosion of the West's foundational faith is synonymous with the erosion of her foundation. Our second president, John Adams, issued a warning to this effect, saying in 1798, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people 
it is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Note that the West could still rightly be called Christendom at that time, and the founders generally meant Christian when using the term religious. Adams clearly didn't view Christianity, as so many do today, as something to be kept separate at all cost, lest it become an impediment to our constitutional government, but rather as a prerequisite for it. The British statesman Edmund Burke wrote in 1791, Men are qualified for civil liberty in exact proportion to their disposition to put moral chains upon their own appetites. George Washington addressed the origin of moral chains five years later when saying, Let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious or Christian principle. Of course, we also have to look at what Davosky wrote in 1880 in that famous work, The Brothers Kemazov. He wrote, If God does not exist, everything is permitted. And this isn't hard to understand. Without acceptance of the eternal, unchanging, divine author of right and wrong, all moral questions, and in particular answers, are met with the cynical says who. Those are your values. Don't impose them on me. So, of course, this explains how a once healthy civilization can collapse into self-imposed tyranny. A mature and moral adult who knows the rules of life can safely negotiate the world just as a mature driver acquainted with the rules of the road can safely navigate the highways and byways. But a small, uncivilized child must be watched and often controlled by mother, father, or nanny. The overgrown, uncivilized child called a barbarian must be subject to the same, except the watchers in his case will be the cops and the criminal justice system. And as it is for individuals, so it is for groups, even country-sized ones, only their nanny is the nanny state. Well, what are we going to say about that today? I'm going to say very simply, it's very clear to me, and I pray it's clear to you, America is in a state of total collapse. We are crashing. If you look at even the mainstream media, it will tell you that we are facing a recession, that the dollar is collapsing, that the world economic outlook 
is very dire. Morality is at an all-time low. We are being attacked in Europe and the West with a complete expulsion of the Christian faith, with radical Islam coming in and causing mayhem. In America, a president with no moral mooring bringing into this nation radical Islamists supporting, even bringing into the White House counselors from radical Islamic organizations. We face the destruction of the entire West from both outside and inside through total moral failure. And yet never has the church been more successful than it is now. Never have the pastors been better educated than they are now. Never have they received higher pay than they receive now. We're facing a desperate problem. And some are saying we need revival. But we have beliefs in the American Christian church that make it impossible for God to bring revival. He wants to. He's eager to revive the church in America, but the church has been given and taught poison pill doctrines that prevent it from any radical change that would save America. I don't mean to be in any way judgmental, but I hear of a million Christians coming to Washington, D.C. for a march. I will not participate. They'll bring in top name speakers from the Christian church from around the country. They'll have a grand time. People will get to see Washington, but I can tell you now, there will be no heavenly influence and there will be no change. I've lived in Washington for many years. I've watched all of the hoopla. I've watched the marches on the mall. I even used to participate in them. I no longer have any interest in them. I hear of some very prominent pastors in northern Virginia gathering together and saying, let's pray together. I'm not interested. I don't, I don't join. I'm not a part of that club. Why? Because they believe doctrinal poison pills that are anathema to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as long as they hold to these doctrinal positions, the Lord cannot move among them. And so you can say, let's go down and pray on the mall. And you can get a lot of excitement. This is the great deal that is coming and revival is coming. No, it's not. Come on, get real. 
I'm sorry, I'm not cynical. I've just watched the Christian church in its compromise with the world, and I have watched as we have bought into the lies being taught on every hand, and I'm going to deal specifically with some of those lies today that are poison pills and absolutely prevent God from moving among us. Let me illustrate this way. A man I care deeply for, a neighbor, came to my house recently and we were in a prayer fellowship talking and praying together. And I was focusing on the issue of forgiveness and I was pointing out that God does not owe us forgiveness for our sin. He has no obligation to forgive us for our sin. That forgiveness is a free gift that is granted to those who honestly repent and turn from their wicked way. Repentance is the prerequisite for forgiveness. I pointed out that God sometimes takes a great deal of time to forgive our sin because he does not forgive sin cheaply. And so some people pray and ask God to forgive them for their sin, their sin of perhaps lying or watching pornography or some other unclean thing stealing, bitterness, anger. And they say, Jesus, please forgive me. And then they've been taught to operate on the assumption that they are forgiven, and by faith they believe they're forgiven until the next time. And their heart grows increasingly calloused and cold toward the true work of God that he desires to do in their heart. And so a shallowness comes into the life of that person. They do not spend those hours before the Lord or in the Word. And so their heart is heavily calloused. And they accumulate sin upon sin upon sin, building up wrath against them for the day of judgment. Now, right now, Jesus does not sit in the judge's chair. Right now, Jesus is interceding for his people. Right now, according to the book of Hebrews, Jesus is making that intercession. And he is applying the blood. At the cross, there is a wicked belief among modern Christians, and that is, They say it was all done at the cross, that our past sins were forgiven, our present sins were forgiven, and our future sins were forgiven. And all we have to do to access that is say, I accept Jesus, and I repent of my sin, and I'm saved. That basic lie vaccinates your heart against Jesus Christ. 
and makes it impossible for you to be saved. Now, what happened in this Friday night meeting is that I then began to press the people who were gathered in my living room with the question, are there areas of open unforgiveness where God has not granted to you forgiveness for your sin? Are you aware of any area where you have walked in such a manner that you have not been forgiven? One man, my neighbor, spoke up and he said, I know without question that I am saved and I am on my way to heaven. I know my sins have all been forgiven. But in all honesty, he said, I must continue and tell you that there are many ways that I am not in compliance with Jesus. There are still large areas of rebellion in my heart against him. And yes, I am still a sinner. But I am saved. And he said it in a manner that reflected an absolute, unshakable belief that he is on his way to heaven. Now, never mind that he loves the world's entertainment, that he feasts on the television and the darkness, particularly of professional sports, that fills his conversation with others. That's not looking at a number of areas in his life where it is obvious that he loves the world and the things of the world. I don't say that in judgment. I say that because that is his confession. And yet he has an unspeakable, unbreakable commitment to the belief that he is saved and on his way to heaven. But the fruit of righteousness is not in his life. The fruit of sanctification, entire sanctification, is not in his life. And I have remonstrated with him on several occasions and others in the group regarding their love of the world and the things of darkness. And they blow me off and they don't listen because they are absolutely convinced that they are on their way to heaven they are saved, and they are going to sin until the day they die. Another woman who came and was a part of the National Prayer Chapel, and I began in a personal visit to confront some of the areas of extreme anger and bitterness and lashing out at her family. And I asked her if this sin had always been in her life, and did she recognize that that sin was blocking her from entering into the kingdom of heaven? And she exploded with that bitter rage at me and said, Pastor, do not even begin to speak to me about the possibility 
that I am not saved. I am a mature Christian woman. I am saved, and I am on my way to heaven. Now, don't talk to me about this anymore. Oh, she was mad. Now, let me be very straight and very direct. We have believed the poison pill in America that we are going to be sinners until the day we die. It is taught on every street corner in America. It is taught that Jesus finished the work of salvation at the cross. Never mind what he's doing now in the heavenly realm. I can tell you now from Scripture that there was only one thing finished at the cross, and that was the wonderful, most wonderful atonement was made that provides us with all that we need for godliness and for holy living, for salvation. But it was not applied to your life or mine at the cross. That's what Jesus is doing in the heavenly tabernacle right now, according to the book of Hebrews. Now, this simple truth is so plain in the word But the lie started by a Baptist preacher some years ago out of Azusa Street was that the work of God was finished at the cross. And we now believe a finished work doctrine. And then in the teachings of John Calvin and those who followed him in what is called the Reformed Movement of of the Faith, largely held by Presbyterians, and I must add many Baptist denominations, but it spread far beyond that to almost now encompass all of the Christian church in America. It is a poison pill that prevents the work of God from ever being accomplished because everyone believes that they are going to a better place when they die They believe they're going to heaven, and you may be included in this group. Now let's go to the scriptures, some of the favorites that are used, and there are many. But Romans, the 10th chapter. Before we go there, let me say something very simple to you. America is dying and will be utterly destroyed if there is not a revival of godliness among the Christian people. But there will not be a revival of godliness among the Christian people unless there is a recognition of how lost America is. And we must recognize where we stand with Jesus And if we have bought into this poison pill of deception, we cannot be saved. It's impossible. If we hold to the shallow belief of the finished work at the cross, meaning that All of my sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. You have been thoroughly vaccinated against Jesus Christ. 
and you cannot be saved. I'm going to show you that in the scripture. In chapter 10, I begin with verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. My heart's desire and prayer to God is that America can be saved. That you can be saved. I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. Well, the modern church does not know the righteousness of God because they have believed that righteousness is declared. They believe that righteousness is declared and that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. That is another version of the Jewish belief great zeal, but no knowledge. And so then you must establish your own righteousness. And you establish your own righteousness by mistranslating the word dikisune from the Greek, which is righteousness, and interpreting that in a legal forensic manner that means declared righteous instead of the original meaning of the word for the new covenant, which is to be made righteous in literal reality. I mean, think for just a moment. What sense does it make if you say, I am saved, but you have not been saved from your sin? Then what have you been saved from? And what are you being saved to? If a building is on fire and it is burning and I come to you and I say, this building is on fire, you must come with me. You must escape this burning building. And you say to me, oh no, I have been declared safe from this fire. What? You will be consumed in that fire. No, you must come and escape that burning fire right now. You must be made to leave that building. And so, right at the beginning of the 10th chapter, through the mistranslation of the word righteousness, the corrupting of the salvation language, men and women are taught a lie. It says in verse 4, Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. The word believe does not mean intellectual consent. It doesn't mean, okay, Jesus, I'll accept you. I'll add to my already full life the wonderful gift of salvation. That's not what it means. The word believe means to adhere to, to be one with, to have my full confidence in. That's why Jesus said, if you want to come and follow me, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross. You must follow me. 
In other words, you must come with me to Golgotha and you too must be crucified. There is no salvation without crucifixion of the old man, the crucifixion of the life. According to the Apostle Paul in the first chapter, there is a righteousness now that comes from another another place. It doesn't come from the law. It comes literally from Jesus Christ. He now comes and gives to us grace. Grace, according to Titus, is the divine influence that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. The grace of God is literally meaning the divine influence of God that brings us into a place of righteousness, that transforms us. I'll show you that in just a moment in the scripture. Verse 5, Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteous, righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, bring Christ down, or who will descend into the desert or the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word, Jesus is the word, the Logos, is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Not television is Lord. Not my business is Lord. Not the world is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That means I will bow before him. It also means I'll be made into his likeness. and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He's describing here a total transformation. Now, if you want to take this 10th chapter and apply your own special meanings and not go to Romans, the 6th chapter, that talks about you must die and no longer walk in sin, then you can do that, but you will be utterly deceived. Now, notice the context, and we'll continue. I want you to see the context of this passage. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Again, the corruption of the word. It should be believe and are made righteous, rendered innocent, taken through a painful process. You know what rendering is. It literally means to put water on, boil it, and put the meat in, and you render the fat out of it. This is the word used in the Greek, dikasune, meaning you will be rendered innocent. That's the literal meaning of dikasune. You will be rendered innocent. In other words, God is going to take you through a crucifixion. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. This trust has to go far beyond our intellect. It must go into the very depths of our soul that we trust totally and completely in Jesus. We don't trust in our job, in our family. We don't trust in our circumstances. We trust the word of God. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all 
and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means you call on the Lord as blind Bartimaeus did and say, Oh God, have mercy upon me. There is a complete change. There is a total breaking. You go from blindness to sight. And that only comes with righteousness. How can they then call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The modern preachers are bringing bad news. They're being sent by liars. They're bringing news that you're going to sin the rest of your life, that there is no deliverance in the blood of Jesus, that you are always and forever until you die going to walk being ravaged by the devil, that the old man cannot be removed, that you're always going to be slipping and falling. You're always going to be walking in rebellion against God. But don't worry, you're saved. That's like saying a man to his wife, you know, that that wicked man is always going to come in when I'm gone and he's going to rape you. And I'm sorry, I, I don't have any power to stop him from raping you. What would that wife say? She would divorce that man. No, don't accuse Jesus of allow, allowing the devil to always come and rape you with sin. Don't allow any man to say that wicked thing to you. The power of the blood of Jesus is adequate to break every bondage and set you free. Unless you believe the lie that you can't, that the blood of Jesus has no power to set you free. If it has no power to set you free, how can you believe it has power to bring you into the heavenly realm? If Jesus does not have the power to deliver me from my sin now, I will not believe that he can deliver me to heaven. In fact, I'll renounce the Christian gospel entirely and become a pagan if the blood of Jesus does not have the power to save me now in the present from all sin. Why would I follow Jesus if he has no power over sin? Why would I follow Jesus? Well, follow. I want you to see the context. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. I want you to hear the word of Christ today. I want you to hear what will bring revival in America. It's when you and I get on our face before God and deal with every area of question and every area of independence and every area where we seek the applause of men, where we seek our own will, where we don't sell out to follow Jesus Christ. Now notice, verse 20, Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me, and I revealed myself to those who did not ask me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. I asked then, did God reject his people? By, by no means. I'm an Israelite myself a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. 
And he goes on talking about how they were chosen. Again, verse 11, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Then notice in verse 17, if some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. These Jewish people were broken off and lost. Not all Jewish people are lost. Only those who refuse to believe in Jesus Christ, who absolutely refuse to turn from their sin and allow themselves to be made righteous by the blood of Jesus, not by the law. They could never be made righteous by the law. And when Jesus died, all of the sin of the past was wiped away. But the present sin will cause you to go to hell and cause you to be broken off if you think you've already entered into the olive tree. He says, do not be arrogant, but be afraid. If you say today, I'm saved, and you still walk in sin, you are being arrogant before God, and your life is in grave danger. And you are blocking the work of God in revival in America. And when America collapses, you will share in the blame of the destruction of America. It says, do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, or sternness to those who sinned against him. But kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. If you continue to walk in sin, you will be cut off. That's the context of the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. If they did, And if they did not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is by nature wild and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will those natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Israel has experienced a hardening in part till the full number of Gentiles has come in. And then if you go with me to the next chapter, Paul is continuing in this theme. Remember, in the Greek, there are no chapter headings, there's no verse division. Often, sentences will run on half a page. So don't divide it. Just keep flowing to get the context. Verse Chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, because of what I've just shared with you, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. If you're walking in sin, you are not holy, and you must repent, and you must be born again for real, not make-believe. Many of you today are sitting in the church believing you're saved while you continue to walk in your rebellion and your sin against Almighty God, loving the things of this world, feasting on the television, the internet, and every other wicked thing, spending great amounts of time with the, with the powers of darkness, and yet you think you're saved. You are not safe. You are in grave danger of the judgment fire of God and of being utterly broken off and cast out. How do I say this? I've been before the Lord so brokenhearted. I know why people in crowds don't come to the National Prayer Chapel. Because you don't believe what I'm saying. You don't believe what the scripture is saying. Verse 2, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renovation of your mind. And that word transformed is the Greek word metamorphos. It means to appear as a new person with new habits, with new worship, with new service. You're a new person, a radical change through and through, complete change, outward and inward transformation, total change. But you've been vaccinated. And you think that if you keep working on this self-improvement job of becoming sanctified, you're going to be saved. Nothing could be further from the truth. We must come into a very serious and honest place with God and begin to, to honestly evaluate how we're walking. So the church is filled today in America with vaccinated Christians. If you're really honest with yourself, many of you today are have, going to have to recognize Basically, you are like the world. You spend your money the way the world spends it. You go to the same places the world goes for entertainment. You walk like the world. You look like the world. You act like the world. I see the way men and women both dress with no modesty, dressing like the world. I'm grieved in my heart. How are you going to be saved? I see the way many of you are lusting after all of the toys of the world. You're lusting after your own life, your own defensiveness, your own bitterness and anger, your own emptiness of heart. Some of you are just surviving, depressed and discouraged. The devil has you totally bound in his chains. You're twice dead. 
and yet you somehow convince yourself that that you're saved. Boy, if you're saved, what would it be to be lost? Saved in slavery to darkness? Saved in the demands of the world? Saved? Is that being saved? Then please don't save me. I don't want to be saved. I'd rather just go straight to hell. I don't want to live a life of bondage. I want to be free in Jesus Christ. I want the glorious deliverance. I want to be birthed a new person. I want to be transformed into his likeness. I want to be with Jesus. He says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. He's talking about the tabernacle system of the Old Testament, where you come to that place to offer the Lamb of God as a sacrifice. You have your back to the world. You have your back to the sun. The rising sun is behind you. You're not going to worship money. You're not going to worship Baal. You're turning your back on the devil. And now you're going to come and you're going to offer this lamb. And we know that Jesus was that lamb offered on Calvary. But now you must also be offered and you must be on that altar of burnt offering. Do you understand? It is a a total life transformation. Many of you today are arguing with what I'm saying. You don't like it. But you know and I know in your inner heart. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And you know, even as my dear brother who lives next door knows, he's not been willing to take up that cross and follow Jesus, only part way. He's an ordained minister, ordained pastor. I said to him, when are you going to respond to the call of God? He said, oh, I have my first retirement from the military, and now I'm working with a contracting company so I can get my second retirement pension. And then when I have that done, I'll have enough money that I won't have to worry about money and I can just do full-time ministry. I said, are you kidding me? That's not how it works. Paul didn't go out and make tents until he had enough money to support himself and then go. No, he went, and as he went, the Lord said, okay, do the tent for for a day or two. Go over here. They'll support you with an offering. Go here, go there. No, he stepped out by faith because he was saved. He was taking up his cross and following after Jesus. My dear brother is bowing at the altar to Baal and saying, I'm saved. 
but I don't trust Jesus to supply my want. So I've got to go out, find it some way, and, and when I get everything taken care of in this world, then I'll have time to serve Jesus. I said, no, you won't. You'll be dead by then. Your life will be forfeit. Listen, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Well, now we're not even as a church separated from this sinful and adulterous generation. We joined with them. We're one of them. And yet we want to claim that we're saved. Jesus, also in Matthew 10, says this. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. For anyone who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, we'll find it. Fabulous. We've come to a place where we've got to recognize that America is collapsing because the American church has joined forces with the world. And the world has come in and made its home in the church. The church of today has become big business, big entertainment, motivational. The church today is not confronting sin and saying, you must repent and be born from above or you're lost. Now, some pastors are. I tuned into a pastor on Wave FM this weekend, and I was rejoicing as he spoke an honest and truthful word of God to the people, saying you cannot live any way you want to live and still think you're going to go to heaven. I said, Lord, bless this dear brother. There are a few, but we're in the vast minority and not popular. What are you going to do with, with what I've shared with you today? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, 
the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. If you do not hear and understand what I'm speaking to you today, your life along with America is going to fall and there will be a great crash and you will be lost. And you will face the judgment bar of God because you are still continuing to walk in your sin. This is the lie that must be broken if revival is to come to America. And until it's broken, America is being destroyed and we're very close to the end. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. If your heart beats with me in desiring all of the fullness of Jesus to walk in purity and, and to walk clean with him, I invite you to write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. God bless you, my brother and my sister. I love you. I want you to be born again and to walk in holiness and righteousness before a mighty God. He loves you with an everlasting love and he will save you. I'll talk to you soon.